This is a wee bit of everything. The podcast that explores all things sport and teaching. Hello there and welcome to the A Wee Bit of Everything podcast with your hosts Lewis and Clark. Thanks for coming back to tune in to this week's episode. We really are amazed by all the support we have received from everyone so far. Our partner of the podcast is Premiership Experience who have played a big role in helping us develop. Premiership Experience offer fantastic sports tours within the UK and abroad so be sure to check them out on Twitter at Prem Experience. This is a professional learning platform where we get ideas and insights from like-minded professionals. Our vision is to inspire, to teach and to entertain. So let's get started with this week's episode of A Wee Bit of Everything. Hello everybody and welcome back to this week's episode of the A Wee Bit of Everything podcast number 88 where we are interviewing Richie Durno who's a head of PE at Trinity High School in South Lanarkshire. Richie also works with the SQA to write exam papers for PE, which we'll hear about shortly in today's episode. So tonight's episode is going to focus on all things higher PE exam preparation, and we're looking forward to getting Richie's thoughts on that tonight. So Clark, do you want to give the the listeners just a wee kind of insight into what to expect from tonight's episode? Yeah, I will do it. Richie also went to UWS, Lewis, would you believe it or not, to study sports coaching? The The one and only. The same uni we went to back in the day. That was a while ago. Remember that back in, back in the old back in the old days in the old in the old Hamilton building. I don't know. Well, I don't think that exists anymore. It does, but it's no, it's not in operation. I know it's all new now, isn't it? Yeah, I've not actually been up there, but I've heard good things about it. State of the art stuff. Yeah, I, I wish it was like when you were there. But anyway, I also studied the PGDE at Strathclyde University, where I, where I went to study. Um, Lewis was obviously at, at UWS in there, so I uh, just a wee bit of a brief background there on his. Um, on his studies and kind of how he moved on to being a faculty head of PE. I also worked at Duncan Rigg um, in East Kilbride, where that's where I actually met Richie. So, um, so tonight, today, Lewis has asked me, obviously, an introduction there to talk a wee bit about what we're going to cover tonight in the episode. So we'll find out a wee bit about his background, get into more detail, and then we're going to touch on what he's learned from teaching higher PE over the years to help his students achieve um, their best potential. But they're going to touch on any key tips that he's going to share um, to prepare your students for the higher P exam. And then from there, we're going to go into his role with the SQA, as Lewis touched on there, and also what he thinks makes a high quality higher P lesson. So without further ado, we'll get Richie onto the A Wee Bit of Everything podcast. Right, uh, Richie, welcome to the A Wee Bit of Everything podcast. Many thanks for joining us tonight. How's, how's your day been? Been good today, Clark. Thanks, thanks for having me. It's uh, it's nice to be on. As I say, I had a lot of classes today, which meant I could just stick to my job without interruption. So a good day. A good day, all and then. That's that's good to hear. Um, hopefully an even better night then on the on the yes. podcast. <laughs> sure, sure, it'll, sure, it'll be good fun. Um, so we'll get started then. So, um, would you be able to give us a, a brief rundown on your your career to date, Richie? I know you're on to talk about higher PE and then kind of exam tips for, for anyone listening in. Um, but before we do that, would you be able to give us a, a rundown on your, your career to date? Yes. Um, in, in high school, I didn't always necessarily know what I wanted to do, but I enjoyed sport. And my two yep. main sports at the time were rugby and golf, and also very competitive in badminton, football, basketball. 
basically anything that, that was in PE. Um, and pretty much I had a choice to make between whether I followed rugby because in the year, the year 2000 was a very good year for me for sporting wise. I was going to the, the Scotland camp in Struan for rugby and I also managed to get to the final of the Junior Masters for golf when I was oh, at wow. Glen Eagles. Wow. Um, decided to stick with rugby and I know that we all have our story for why we, we didn't make it. <laughs> <laughs> Not saying that I would have, but I, I sustained a, a knee injury during my ECL. did that a couple of times. And, and after that, and a, a, a gap year uh, abroad in America, I came back and decided that, that PE teaching was the, was the one for me. So I, I learned my trade doing my probation year at Holy Cross back in, in 2011. Right. Got a permanent post at, at Duncan Rig from 2012 until the end of 2018. And, and that was great working there. Uh, a great team, worked with great people, got some great memories. And it was at the end of 2018 that I became the faculty head of PE and Dance at Trinity. Started that officially in 2019. And it was funny because initially that was a bit like going back to being a student teacher again because Mm -hmm. uh, you're getting to know a new team and a new school, but it's funny how, how quickly you adapt and that now just feels like that, that's where I've always been because they're, they're a great team. I started working with the SQA in 2015, marked for a year, then became a team leader for the, the question paper and that led to other opportunities where I was part of the, the focus group that, that revised the national qualifications in 2017. And that led to becoming a, an item writer. And because I was doing that at the time, I also became the South Lanarkshire Council Senior Phase Lead in 2018, which initially kind of started out as a point of contact between the local authority and the PE network. But last year, as you know, and, and this year, that's evolved into facilitating authorities' approach to, to moderation in conjunction with the SQA's alternative assessment model. And uh, Brilliant. That's currently where we are just now. A busy man. So, do you, do you still um, do you still play golf or play rugby, or do you get get the chance to? Do you not get the chance? Rugby stopped. Rugby stopped after the the knee reconstruction, unfortunately. Uh, still, still try to play golf when it's sunny. So, <laughs> not not that often. <laughs> yeah, are, are you a member anywhere? Yes, Bonnington, Bonnington Eaglesham. I still play with a lot of the guys that I actually work with at Duncan Rig and a few other mm. friends. They'll. So pretty much, I've got a year-round membership, but I tend to use it between June, July and August. <laughs> aye, aye. I try no golf with Lucy. I always try to steal my golf balls at my bag. He loses, he loses that many. <laughs> no, no, I know bad. the feeling very well. <laughs> I'm only joking. I'm just as bad, to be honest. I can so I just kind of control my temper when I play golf. That's, that's, that's uh, aye. Like maybe in the summer, maybe one night every couple of weeks I'll play um, with someone at my work. Can I go around some of the golf courses in Fife? Um, the kind of Kirkcald area, but I hopeless like. A fantastic game when you're playing well. Yeah, but... that's it. Like it's one, it's just, it's one of those ones, but it's like it's hard to keep a rhythm and keep keep kind of consistent with it. I'm just like sometimes I think I'm, I'm I've I've got it nailed, and then I go back out the next again week, just hopeless, can't even hit the thing. I actually took a break from it a couple of years ago because there was an offer on at Glen Eagles to go and play a four ball, so we'd all played like a hundred pounds each, mm. and I just couldn't. I'm not enjoying it at all. So I took three months out of it, but we're back now. 
seems to have sorted that, that slice, thankfully. I, I actually have a golf lesson to use up. I've got a half hour golf lesson. I got it for my birthday in September last year. I've still not used it. I think I'll wait for the, the better weather to come in. I think I'll need more than one, but... Where's that, where's that for? Hey, up at Carnwath, with a pro up there. Right. That's my dad as a member, so he got that for my birthday. So, still got that to use. I'm sure you'll find time to get it. Um, get it in the good weather, as you said. So, mm. uh, Richie, so, can I go back to um, your job at, at Dunkerig or for that matter in, in Trinity? Do you teach higher this year? Or do you teach yeah. higher? Aye. Yeah. So, what have you kind of learned then from teaching higher over the years? Um, like, kind of, to help your students, have you got any kind of key insights that you'd like to share with the listeners and ourselves tonight? Yeah, this might sound quite straightforward, but I would say one of the main things is that they, is that they need to experience it. They need, like, a, a well-organised experience that's got enough structure that covers the, the mandatory course content, but also enough flexibility to allow an element of, of personalization. And there's so many approaches that can be taken to achieve that successfully, and, and each has its own merits. But m- much of that approach that you take depends on your uptake and the cohort that you've got, how your school timetable works. Because if you've just got the one higher class, then you might need to plan three activities that, that can be accessible and appeal to every pupil taking the course. Whereas if you've got three or four classes, for example, if you've got more than one class in one column, then you've got the option of, of splitting the classes to follow different activities and, and different routes. And a conversation that we've had over the last couple of years is actually whether we include something like football, which mm-hmm. is going to be familiar to a certain cohort, versus not giving them that and, and actually going for something like badminton or something really alternative like softball, because of the argument that if you give a lot of your footballers football, although they will enjoy the practical side of that, they might not be engaged with the process of the actual PDP itself, because they mm. tend to think they know it a little bit better than yourself. Right, yeah. Because if you give them something like badminton um, or, or softball that's, that's completely new, then it's a bit more of a genuine process. Mm-hmm, yep. Having to actually learn a skill, develop it, and there's a real kind of show of improvement there, you know, whereas the margin for improvement in sports they're more familiar with is is slightly smaller. So some schools might still adopt a more kind of old school approach as well that that shares similarities to the discrete units of skills and techniques, preparation of body structures and strategies. Um, When I planned the course initially many years ago, I tended to focus on one activity per term and focus explicitly on one physical factor and one from the others. Because mm-hmm. uh, I, I like the structure and, and the certainty that that approach brought. Whereas now I'm a bit more towards letting the pupil experience have more bearing on, on the content and direction of the course. So there's, there's a lot more flexibility where it'll be a more naturally occurring what we speak about. It doesn't have to be Mm-hmm. physical and then one from mental, emotional or social, it, it's it's what's most appropriate at that time. There's also the kind of consideration of the, the process and experience versus the results because results are so important and, and you obviously want the best possible results for all of your pupils and you're very conscious that the grade that they get stays with them and they could be counting on that to be successful and, and gaining access to their 
or chosen neither destination. Mm-hmm. You're also conscious of the part that you, you play in the performance of your department, how that feeds into your performance of the whole school, and you'll have looked at your performance from previous years, you get targets set for your, your current presentations, but if, if you get too caught up and focusing solely on that end result, you, you can take away from the, the pupil experience and it can lead to maybe trying to find a shortcut here and there or uh, make sure that your pupils can just talk about it but they've not necessarily understood it because they haven't actually experienced it. And, and that can be counterintuitive because the responses will then lack crucial bits of detail that they get from actually experiencing something. They'll, they'll lack maybe a bit of understanding that they'd normally gain from making yep. the mistake themselves, as as a you know, as opposed to being told, "Here's what happens." You know, mm-hmm. if you get them to just talk about doing a questionnaire versus people and do a POMS test, for example, like my, my higher class last week. And yep. we were talking about how was that? And one of them said, Well, I didn't actually understand some of the questions. I had to Google what peeved meant. Yeah, aye, it's very yeah. Americanized, the POMS test, isn't it? Is that yeah. some of the statements in it? Uh, I tried to, and you know, getting them to do continuous training, repetition practice so that they genuinely get bored aye. and adapt that for themselves instead of just talking about how if you just do that, uh, get them to plan a session that's not considered the, the relevant principles for performance development, allowing them to make the mistakes. Um, and I'd say that the most important resource that the pupils have in the class, without sounding too Disney, is, is yourself. And, and the best design lesson, the best teaching tools that we have at our disposal, they're, they're ineffective without an excellent teacher to use them. It's not enough to attend one Understanding Standards event or one moderation activity or one departmental course review. It's, it's a constant process of keeping yourself up to date. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't go to a dentist or lawyer that hadn't updated their practice in the last 10 years and I think that we're no different. Mm-hmm. I think you've covered a lot there, but it's, I don't know about, about you, but a lot of, the, well, a lot of uh, people that have been on the podcast have spoken about how it's important to keep the try to implement the theory within the practical like what you were saying there get them to experience it and try and even have their jotters in at the side and get them taking be notes during doing observation schedules or um shadow practice like just taking notes at the side to kind of you know try and bring it to life in the practical um that's something you do as well uh, absolutely Let, let's not kid ourselves the bit of the course that everybody finds most engaging is the practical mm-hmm. and I've, I've, we've all been been through it ourselves at school you know when it was a classroom lesson I wasn't as engaged as I was when, when it's a practical and now that we are we're in double periods for, for all of our classes now and I quite like the, the balance of having a practical and then you go to the classroom and that's where you can talk about what, what you've just done it lends mm-hmm. itself to a really you know genuine yeah. and I think double periods are good for that. Uh, for certain classes, maybe not so much. Um, but definitely the senior phase classes, it does help kind of debriefing it in the practical in the theory after it. Um, I like, I like yeah. also like the idea of what you were talking about though when you're speaking about like bringing a like an activity into it that kind of levels the playing field because it does almost. I think that's a bit that I struggle with certainly um, when trying to teach national five and um, I'm on two periods of higher. Like I come on to that. Um, like after we'd started this year because a teacher left and again it is see when you're going through like these different approaches and trying to plan training programs and stuff like that it's trying to get them to actually take it seriously and 
be genuine with it, which I think that's the, the real struggle when we're, that's probably the most difficult part of the course, to get them to do that properly and actually carry it out properly. Um, Absolutely. Um, one of the, when I first came to Trinity, I had never, I, I had associated softball and rounders as just a summer game. Mm -hmm. And they've, we've kind of got a history of doing that at every level. And first and second year, they do rounders. And third and fourth year, it's rounders progressing into softball. And then higher, they, 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 they do softball. And it's, see when we do a live performance, the standard and the level of competition and how they, you know, plan their order and positioning as a team, it, it lends itself really well to, to mm -hmm. every factor. Mm -hmm. And all of our pupils, you know, from a campus like Ronald and Catchment, love doing it. And when we, when it came to, to last year, when we were really limited to the activities that we could do, and we were actually just doing a, a block of, uh, a term of rugby, and then the kind of COVID mitigations changed again, they all asked, can we continue with, with more softball? So it's been quite an, an unexpected success. Mm -hmm. You've got the buy-in as well from them because they're motivated to do it, um, yeah. which, which is a massive bonus as well. Um, right, thanks, Richie, for, for sharing uh, your experience over the years of, of teaching higher, and I'm sure, I'm sure it will have a, a good impact uh, for this year as well. Um, so my first question for you then, Richie, is obviously with the, the exams coming up, and particularly the higher PE one, how do you prepare your students for the higher PE exam can I, with it in the, the months leading up to it? Do you have like, any can I, key tips similar to the, the previous question? I'd, I'd say the main thing is, is knowing your pupils and knowing what your pupils need. I know that you know, there's the modern concept of trying to find the, the silver bullet, the shortcut, or um, the hack is probably the most modern term. And, you know, this exercise will give you six pack abs, and this is the wonder food that will make you lose weight. Mm -hmm. But me, there's, there's no shortcut to, to get to know your pupils, though. It, it just takes time, and it's regular dialogue with as many pupils as possible, regular opportunities for them to demonstrate their understanding and their progress. And, and regular feedback on and discussion and, and next steps. You'll you'll have a plan you've been following since the start of the term, start of the block, start of the year, and and whilst you can still follow that, you need to get used to adapting it to suit the needs of the individuals in your class. I would say I used to be very much when I just started teaching it. Once a task or a topic's been submitted, that's it. Mm. But it's now much more looking at it. We need to revisit that. We need to go over this again as a class. There's, there's some gaps here and spend a bit more time doing that, being a bit more flexible with that structure. For example, if you analyse your prelim performance, it gives you a picture of where the gaps are in your class and it might highlight areas that need more attention. Uh, could identify individuals that are needing more targeted support. So some pupils might have scored around 70% and for them, they might just need to focus on the discriminator questions that require more depth and complexity so you can set them down that path but as some pupils might have scored somewhere in the middle and there's many that have got potential marks that were just near misses because they lacked just a bit of clarity or relevance and then there's some that have scored significantly less and they need to focus on working out what's this question actually asking and how do you demonstrate that knowledge in written format so as, as well as knowing your pupils, 
I would say one of the main things that I could say for, for preparing your pupils is knowing that mandatory content inside out. And uh, if you haven't already, it's page five of the course specification from SQA. And there's, there's some course report notes that have got really, really good suggested learning activities that, that go along with that. The wording of the exam question is taken from that. So if, if you're setting any questions yourself, I would stay as close to the wording of that mandatory content as possible. And it might sound silly, but if you're creating a question or a task, to make sure that you can actually answer it yourself. Mm -hmm. um, I think you, a good way of actually doing it is to write was, the answer. Sorry, uh, so, oh, on you go, mate. That's on you go. I'm going to say to write, actually write the answer that you want them to give you first, and that will give you the question that, that you're wanting to ask. Mm. That's good. I, I, so I, was, I was chatting with, with Clark and the way back from work the day. Uh, I normally pester them on my way home, so I've got a nice long drive. So um phone for a bit of chat, but I was talking about um like just what you were speaking about there. If you're going through like some questions with your class, or, like I always like to have like a couple of my own answers rather than even ones that are like ones that are, they obviously tie in with the like what a model answer would look like, but just so that I can understand it in my own head if they ask me questions and stuff on it, because that's there's just so many different ways that the kids articulate their answers and it's an absolute nightmare if they ask you a question and see if you're kind of just new to it or just learning it mm -hmm. for the first time. It's hard to try and think on the spot unless you've maybe got those answers already kind of written out and learned. It's, it's a tough gig. 100% and we've actually tried to, when we've been looking at how to, you know, make assessments or adapt previous exam questions for, for prelims, We've adapted them, and then when we've tried to answer them, thought, don't know what we'd actually write for that. Yeah. <laughs> we'd better not give that to the kids, and it's a really good test before you yeah. out. actually see. If you see if you put down six marks here, can you do six marks? Yeah. Uh -huh. If you put down four, can, can you do four? And if, if you can't, then... Uh, yeah, it's no good giving it to the kids, is it? You see the course spec? Like, would you share that with the kids as well? well I know like the mark instructions is available on the online for the the portfolio that's something that i always try and cash share with them and go through them go through with yeah, them um yeah absolutely because the, the the titles of that it's it's so important for them for familiarizing themselves with that key terminology yeah you know they, they need to know the difference between um what an approach versus a method test or tool we've all marked those papers where they ask you for an approach and then they talk about the leak test and uh -huh. all that right Exactly description, but you're not getting no, anything no. for it. So absolutely, I think the, the the terminology of that mandatory content I would absolutely share and clarify and see some of the more complex terminology that could be misunderstood, such as appropriateness, suitability, reprioritization. Yeah. These are words that for you know your your C candidates that yep. can trip them up. And they need to know what what's that question actually asking. I Lewis, when you've spoken like before, like about the the importance of like a knowledge organizer, like I think we're gonna sit down and actually make one for National Five Antire so they understand like what suitability means, appropriateness of method. Because I think like there's a lot of terminologies you say that some of them just mean the same thing, not, but some of them make the so it's like having just like a one page of A4 and it's kind of defines really what the what, what the words or phrases are um, and they could keep referring to that when they're answering questions so they're uh, so it's helping them answer it properly really before 
I'm starting it. So I that's something we'll, we'll hopefully get done. If it's it's probably been done somewhere. Um but mm. we we kinda of thought that I thought that would be useful anyway with with my with my students. See having a variety of different resources, I think it's really important to have that as well because mm-hmm. we need to recognise that all of our pupils learn in different ways. For example, I was speaking to my tutor class after they came back from their, their recent assessment period and asked them, how do you study and learn best? And they all have different answers. Uh-huh. Some are more visual, some like flashcards, some like reading, some like writing. So if you've just got one resource and you're saying, guys, this is what you have to use, you're yeah. only appealing to a certain cohort versus if you have flashcards, videos, and something a bit more detailed for people that like reading, mm-hmm. then you're appealing to everybody in, in your class. You know, last year, we've all created so, so much online resources. And I'm saying to our, our team, we still need to be, be using that. And that wasn't just to get us through. Mm-hmm. There's some great online lessons that you can put in a Google Classroom and say, go and listen to that one on feedback again. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I know it's coming, I, coming I, from I, you as well as a teacher. I've used a few of them as well to help me like with lesson planning things like that just to get some of the some different ideas and obviously how to word things and and, and all that but I like I say like I think some of the, the pupils I, I know when I was at school I didn't know really how to study effectively like I thought just maybe writing notes out or highlighting stuff like I didn't I wasn't sure that was the best way stu- like I honestly didn't know like I never get taught properly how to how mm-hmm. to actually study and I think there's a lot more research and stuff that's come out now certainly that I'm aware of in terms yeah. of like you say flashcards and constantly testing yourself on um, the different aspects of the course so you are really clear when it comes to if you're getting asked about approaches or methods of gathering data or methods of monitoring things like that you're, you're kind of you've got that stuff well versed yeah and Clark see what you said there is there's a lot of it has already been done Right. It has, but I've found um, if you try and just take somebody else's resources without making making it your own, yeah, you just don't deliver it the same. No. So you don't want to keep reinventing the wheel, but at the same time, you do want to put your own stamp on it before no. you, you know, you can give it that genuine delivery. Yeah, I think in terms of what you're saying, Lewis, as well, when they're they're studying, like we've obviously had a, an episode on retrieval practice, which is really an eye opener for me anyway. Like, mm-hmm. cause I used to teach. Like the content, as you were saying, Richie, and then just forget about it and move on to the next thing. You're just like going to go through it in a sequential order rather than revisiting it. Which um, I think that the person, the lady we had on, Kate Jones, was saying that you should be teaching um, your lesson should be like 25% new content and 75% should be revisiting um, previous yeah. prior learning. Um, so I, that was an eye opener. Another kind of key strategy that I've I've learned over the last few episodes. So um, yeah, all good stuff. Right then, could you tell us then, Richie, in a wee bit more detail about your role with the SQA and what work goes on behind the scenes? Yes. So one of my roles is the question paper marking team leader, and that's all about to to kind of start up again for for the first time in a couple of years and. It's, it's something that I really, really do enjoy. It's a, it's a great team of people that you're working with and you're, you're delving right into what is the higher standard. And, and that makes for some very interesting discussion uh, under a lot of pressure. I might uh-huh. add, you, you're at a standardisation, you're round the table with the other team leaders, the deputy principal assessor, 
principal assessor, somebody the qualifications manager there, and you, you, you definitely feel the pressure when you've all marked a paper and then they say, right, Richie, what did you give one A? <laughs> You're like, can you go with somebody else first? <laughs> but it really, really sharpens up your your yeah. skill and, and you leave there very confident on what is higher standard and, and what isn't. Yeah. There, there is truly no better CPD. So, how, so how, how long are you there for? Is that a full day? Or is that a week, a weekend? It's a week. It's a, a week. week. So right. for, for this one, it will be a, there's a pre-standardisation where you're finding scripts that you're going to all be looking at together. And then there's a, a weekend where the core team will kind of look at, agree on the marks for paper one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And then after that weekend, the rest of the team leaders come and they will then look at it. It's such a, a detailed process that, you know, which when it does come to a marker's meeting, if somebody's to question, that's that's a marker, that's not a mark. Mm-hmm. If you'd seen what the, the amount of work, discussion and hours that have gone into saying mm-hmm. this is the standard, you know, you'd be very unlikely to question it because it's such a detailed process. And there's some questions that we spend so much time on because we want mm-hmm. to get it right. And the difficulty is the subjective nature of the answers. It's not just like a mathematical equation. I know. A lot of it, because it is uh, literacy, it's so open to, to interpretation. Yeah. Right. It's, the it's the same in the one-off performance as well. Exactly. But I suppose the more understand the standards eventually go, as you say, and do it day in, day out, it sharpens your knowledge. And that's ultimately the only way you get better at it. So you, did you say you started, you did, you became Mark and- 2015 was it? I think that was the first year, 2015 and 2016, and then team leader the year after. And what was that like? What was that like going in there? But uh, so, how many years in your career were you? Like four or something? You started. So that would have been five, four or five years in. Yes. Um, That that first time, it was it was just hires my favourite part of. Of, it's my favourite class to have because you can get into to so much detail and and really tease out a bit of quality and, and responses. So getting to do that was was great and mm. just finding out more about it, the standard, it gives you so much, a lot of ideas for content and delivery and how you can improve your own practice, sharing that with others. It's, it's really, really good. At, at that time... Sorry, on you go. No, I was going to say it's a very useful, I think it's like a, a very useful thing to go and do, like, like you say, to actually help you learn the course and just, uh, again, but it's just the, I, I don't, I wonder, like something I would, I would be keen to get involved in to obviously, um, like you say, sharpen my own knowledge about it and, because it makes it, forces you to do it, forces you to learn it and you're having those quality discussions with people that are actually super clued on about it, the people that have actually designed the course and, um. Again, so you know for yourself, for your own peace of mind, that what you're teaching in your school is correct. Well, yes, I'd recommend it to, to everybody. And I feel very privileged to, to, to get the experience that I'm getting. And it, and it would be great if, if, it was, if there's more, if everybody could do it. But it's obviously just 
it's not possible. Um, it's yeah, I've applied the, the the national five one, but I'm still here back. But uh, there was just one level at a time, you know. I'll try and get my head around the national five. <laughs> is there a good uptake for these like opportunities, though, or do you think there's not like it could? Do you think it should be a lot better than what it's at? Oh no, there is. It's there's because there's quite a. I think there is quite a, a big turnover in markers each year because there will be people that that can't do it anymore or are just not doing it anymore. Mm-hmm. And a lot of new people come in. Yeah, yeah. And then there's always movement at every level of marking team leader, core team. Uh, even in the short, it's a relatively short period of time. I've been I've been doing it, and now it's it's part of the core team. It's, it's only been since 2015, 2016, so it's still a reasonably quick. Mm-hmm. And what what's the sort of criteria then that like CFUs are all like? To, to, what's the criteria to actually become a marker? Let's say for you to be on that team. I think for right. just for marking, you need to have been teaching the the course for a few years. Right. Okay. I think, it, I think, it, uh, I think it's when I done applied for the national five. I think it was three years, three full years or yeah. something like that. Mm-hmm. And then for team leading, I think you, you need to be kind of graded as a as an A marker. And again, I've been marking for for a couple of years, and then if a position comes up again, that that's open to to all markers to apply for it. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I would I would highly recommend it. It's just not the same as reading a course specification and then trying to go and teach that versus, Aye. as you were saying, Lewis, actually having that discussion and you know almost like a retest yourself of can you can you mark to that standard? Mm-hmm. It really gets you. Right. I, I felt in lockdown like all the mod, the levels of moderation we were doing in the department and then within the, our locality and then uh, as a, the authority was really helped me I felt really confident um, in marking National 5 last year um, as a result of that extra moderation and discussion yeah. that's, that's something that's always been quite good I think particularly in PE as those professional networks you know Aye. between the PE schools locally and nationally and through different local authorities it's it's really good mm-hmm. right Richie um we've kind of covered a lot of, a lot there in the last half an hour or so um we've moved through quite a lot of content um we'll move on to the kind of last question in the main part of the, the episode um what so it's lastly in your opinion Richie what makes a high quality PE lesson um, and, and in particular higher if you want to focus on that it's up to you we kind of usually ask usually ask this last question um sorry uh what makes a high quality teacher but we've kind of changed it now to what makes a high quality lesson so we can start talking about teaching and so learning being compared to anybody else here then if, if no I'm you're the first, first you're the first one on this and this is as well your chance to set the bar set the bar high set it down as early no pressure then, good. I would say the probably the main thing is is for it being relatable. You know, I don't want to go into a, an interview type answer where we talk about meeting, greeting and all these different things. I would say that the main theme for me is being relatable because that, that can look very different every time depending on who you have in front of you. You could have the best product that there is but if you don't know your market and if you don't know how to sell it, then, then nobody's going to buy it. You know, if you're doing, a, for example, if you're doing gathering data, if you just go in and say, um, hey guys, today we're doing gathering data, get the racket, so versus if you say, if you kind of try and package it as what we do today will determine what we do from now until Easter, 
and we're going to try and identify a development priority. And if we get it right, I th- you know, I think they're two mm-hmm. same thing but packaged yeah. very differently. When we're discussing more complex themes in content, for example, analysis always seems to be that that tricky one. Can you discuss that in a in a different context that's more relatable to the pupils? Because if you do just stick to that that terminology that's in the mandatory content, which you do need to use, not everyone is going to be able to relate to that. So can you explain that to them in a different context that they can understand? And a one that I always quite like to use, because you would like to think that most people who have opted into higher PE at some point have seen a post-match analysis. Mm-hmm. So we talk them through that, about how the pundits sit there, they pick out one aspect of that match, mm-hmm. they give the implications of it, you know, if it's a, they were, why, why did they manage to get so much of the ball? They were playing a high line. What's the implications of playing a high line? What was the impact of that? And people tend to be able to, to relate to that more than just talking about implication or sort of identification, implication and impact. Mm-hmm. Um, having a clear focus not overcomplicating and trying to cover half the course in a day. You know, I always like starting with just by the end of this period, here's what you should be able to do or here's what you should have attempted. You want a, a good level of challenge as well. You know, if you ask questions and you get no answers, you've not asked good questions. And if you ask questions and everyone has the answer, it's not challenging enough. I think you need to mm-hmm. pose questions and problems that, that generate thought and discussion an opinion, for example, if you were just to ask your class, what are the organisational issues with a match analysis sheet? People may or may not answer that because it's so open and it's not very inviting to actually, it doesn't really make you think as much. Whereas if you say, here's a potential problem, I've tried to play an overhead clear, but I've mishit it. It's turned out to be an unintentional drop shot that wins a point. What are you marking on the match analysis? That's going to generate thought, mm-hmm. debate, and it'll get a better quality of discussion. And that can then lead you into all the different organisational issues that there is with a match analysis sheet. Mm-hmm. And also, you like pose, pose that, like give them an example of an issue, and then that can sort of start that debate. Oh, yeah, I've, I've not yeah. said what's the issue because then you're just asking them to name it. Yeah, you're not really getting them to actually think about Discuss the issue. It. Yeah. And, and the problem that we have uh, is, is getting our pupils to write with, with detail. Mm-hmm. So we need to get them to think with detail as well. It can't just be naming the issue and then what's the next bit of that? What's the next bit of that? Getting them to actually think about that properly and a bit more critically and analytically, that, that's what I always try to do where possible. Um, I, I, like that. I like that, but you're kind of posing a problem. It's almost like... Is that problem-based uh, curriculum? Another guy in the ep- um, on another episode spoke about like here's a problem I've got and this and like put them on the path to kind of solving it as a, as a class. Um, and they come up with various different solutions and different answers rather than just as you said the one answer, like naming it and identifying it. That's good. Yeah, like if that. you want to get technical, it's going down the kind of and I know a lot of schools are big in this. You know the Bloom's taxonomy for the different types of questions that you use and the different words that you use mm-hmm. and. Another thing for me would be fostering a, a really motivational culture, one of self-regulation, one where your pupils really want to try, they want to seek help, they want to get feedback. Uh, and a really good example is actually one of the guys that, that I work with for 
his higher classes, he always puts them in teams. So when they're doing softball, he'll name them after two of the, you know, American baseball teams. And if they're doing basketball, he'll name them after a couple of NBA teams. And within his class, it fosters a great, a great culture mm-hmm. where they're wanting to, when they're doing a PDP, they train as a team. When they're doing their games, they want to win as a team. And it, it makes for great content, for social factor, for all the factors. And I think values would, would be the last thing that, that I would include in there because the, the getting that culture comes from the values that you instill. And the values that pupils are exposed to out with school, they might not be aligned with the ones that we are trying to promote in school. Mm-hmm. So we need to be consistent and relentless with it. And, and that starts as soon as they start school in S1 all the way through. And it needs to be consistent from all the teachers in the department and all the teachers in the school. Mm. Oh, well, I don't know about you, but I'm glad glad we asked that question. Uh, so well, you get, I think you get a better response, brilliant. don't you? Aye. I think that we should good, tailor it to, good... um, to be specific about the episode. So I think that was that's um, that was a nice one for that. I don't know some loads of good takeaways there, Richie. Thanks very much for sharing them. Um, that's us kind of finished the main the main part of the, the episode. Um, we'll also kick us off with a quick fire round. Uh, We've not changed these questions, though. So this, well, maybe question three, but the, the first two are consistent across all of our guests. So, just three, three off the off the cuff answers. All right. Right. Okay. Okay. So number one, if you could have a giant billboard anywhere or in your hometown, what would it say on it? Well, if it was at school, it would just say "Go to supported study." <laughs> <laughs> but if so you were well loads. <laughs> yeah, always one. It makes such a difference. If it was just in the hometown, it would either be something inspirational or something humorous. Um, if it was inspirational, I would say those who succeed are just people who tried one more time. Right, number two then. Which people, are we going to say another one there? I was going to try and think of a joke on the spot. Right, but... right go for it then. I'll put you in the spot. Knock, knock. <laughs> <laughs> not, not. It would be something different every day. It would be an LED board that always had a new joke for the day, just so you had something to laugh at. Um, actually, I, I quite like telling my department jokes. They don't always like it, but um, it amuses me. So, Aye. the one that tested quite positively with them recently was I said, I've been trying to find out what the lowest rank in the army is, but I've not been having much luck. Every time I ask someone, they tell me it's private. <laughs> that's, that's almost like as bad as Carl's joke. jokes. Eh? No, 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 don't I always get the dad jokes off Cassie's dad. He gives me, <laughs> I, he always keeps me up to date on my dad jokes. Like, and I, I like you say, don't go to sometimes don't get into it when I try. I find them hilarious. I'm, I'm completely undeterred by if they don't find it funny. As long as I do, I still process. That's the main thing, isn't it? You're trying. You're trying. <laughs> Put a positive light on it. Right, number two then. Which people or books have had the biggest influence on your life? Or you could choose maybe one of each. That might be too difficult. Um, well, for people, funnily enough, my parents had recently, they've put all of our, our family videos from when I was younger onto a USB pen. Um, and these are things that use you no know, a big, massive handheld camera. So the quality of the videos is horrendous. But... <laughs> See the opportunities that, that they gave me when I was younger. There's videos of me playing all these different sports and being in all these different places uh, and taxiing me everywhere because we stayed out in an old house, which was, it's not exactly miles away, but an East Coast ride. It's a mm-hmm. little bit further out. So 
uh, definitely my parents and for, for people I'd also say the people that I've worked with in teaching you know especially uh, at Duncanrig fortunate enough to have a, a principal teacher there that, that gave everyone so much responsibility and and that's definitely shaped my career and given me the opportunities that, that I've had there. Books, it would be probably my favourite favourite couple of books, top three would be Ryan Holiday, Obstacles Away, Jeff Hayden, Motivational Myth and Malcolm Gladwell, either David and Goliath or Outliers. Good. Are they all sort of kind of like, like no self-help books, but like kind of inspirational just more. What's the what's the type of book I'm like? Is that what it's okay like, to be not okay? No, it's uh, not like that. But not, no, what, what are those types of books called? They'll say like like Tales of Titans and all that. Is it? It's no self help book. Is it? Yeah, like, yeah, but, is it? Is it? I just oh, yeah. me. But all about mindset and success mindset. Aye, that's maybe psychology. Aye. I'm very into the you know mm-hmm. psychology. Aye, you can just read a couple of pages of a book like that, and it kind of gives you a bit of uplift, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right, number three then. What top three tips would you give to a new teacher with a higher class? Firstly, know that mandatory content inside out. Secondly, plan and invest in your planning. Plan your PDP set deadlines in advance. When are you collecting your initial data? How long to retesting? Give, give your class a, a clear picture of what they're actually trying to achieve in the term and that, that kind of helps you with what's realistic and ensures you're able to cover the course and as I said as we were saying kind of earlier Clark and in investing in those resources mm-hmm. you know if you're just reading off the sheet someone else has written it's not going to work you need to invest in your process and, and your resources and the final thing would be engaging continual professional dialogue ask other teachers what are they doing? What have they done? What's working well? And not, not just in your own establishment, but, but out with. Join your local authority network. Create a network with nearby schools or people from other authorities that you've worked before. These tend to be pretty well established in PE. And especially after the, the requirements of moderation over the last couple of years and, and go to all the understanding standards events. I think it's important not to try and do it on your own. And that's what other people are there for, people that have done it before. And um, everything's just so accessible these days. For example, like what we're doing tonight and everything can be done from the comfort of your own home pretty much. There's so much you can learn from the conversations and and discussions, not just within your department, like um, going to all these events. It's just, I think it's just the best way to learn. And that's definitely the way I've learned the most is through networking. And that's probably my top, top tip. Right, well, Richie, thanks so much for coming on tonight and giving up your time to chat to us about your, your experiences in PE and um, kind of mainly higher PE. So it's much appreciated from the both of us. Hi, Richie, top man. Thanks very much. That was brilliant. Thank you very much for having me on, guys. I enjoyed it. So that is indeed the end of episode 88, Mr. Burrow. What are your key takeaway messages from Richie Durno's episode tonight? Mr. Gallagher, we're raging, it's not him, it's 88. Aye, exactly. <laughs> I just missed it by one episode. I think you tweaked that intentionally. No, not at all. No, Richie was brilliant tonight. I really enjoyed listening to him um, talking about his strategies for teaching and learning. Um, a bit about exam prep as well. And then finally, what makes a, a high quality, higher lesson. So, 
My key takeaway message would be quite short, actually, for this one um, on the question that he uses in his classes. So he said it needs to be really specific and the way you word it um, is really important. So he kind of poses a problem um, and then gets him to, you know, give a solution based on the problem rather than saying we're going to learn about gathering data. Um, he says, here's an, here's an issue with my, my drop shot. Yeah, so I went to play an overhead clear, um, but I ended up playing an unintentional drop shot. What impact does, would this have on my match analysis sheet? Um, or how would that affect the match analysis sheet when writing down, when writing it down, when watching the performance? So, yeah, just like the, the language that he uses when he's, he's questioning as well. It's just really specific, um, isn't it? Yeah, and trying to, you know, give them opportunities to discuss answers rather than asking questions that allow them to, or just name and, and identify certain certain things um, and you know as well like through that book by Bruce Robertson that you've been speaking about lately mm. he, he uses a kind of pause pause what's the other word bounce pounce and bounce pounce and bounce yes. yeah so so I so that's that's another good strategy that that kind of made me think about that when when, when Richard was talking yeah, um, it's, I think it's, it's having them planned as well. That those uh, questions he said that as well, and his his, his final part of his takeaway is yeah. plan, plan your questions so that you're not just thinking about it off the cuff. You're actually, mm-hmm. actually even down to the people that you're actually that you're actually asking. So if you're just picking on pupils to to give you answers back, have like known who you're actually going to ask those specific question to. Aye, just to see if to generate that discussion and that's sometimes a hard thing because I think when you're trying to do the questioning or um, you're trying to get that discussion and create that meaningful discussion so it's not just a case of identifying and listing facts and just recalling information trying to get quality in your discussions it's having all your questions planned knowing who you're going to be asking um, so that you can, like, keep, you can keep that discussion going Aye, I think when you're saying everybody think about that for a moment or take 10 seconds to think about that. But then I think the hard bit is when you then go for the answer and they give you an answer, it's like, do you just say yes? I always find myself just saying yes, that's correct. But actually, nah. could we say maybe... How can you push sure? them on further? Aye, yeah. who agrees with this? When I was getting hands up if you agree with that. Okay, does anybody Aye. get anything else to add? Aye. Do you dis- does anyone disagree? And then yeah. see if we can create that debate, as Richard was saying as well. So... What's then there to think about moving forward? Um, and also, would anybody like to build on that answer? And mm-hmm. just on that, would you like to build on my takeaway? <laughs> right, I've got my Lego blocks out ready to build. So Lego times two, that's analysing, is it not? Right, absolutely. Right, so my takeaway message from Richie's podcast tonight um, was in relation to the activity that you're teaching your hires or your national fives, um, the wee debate there, is it you teach something that they're really familiar with and they're passionate about? Um, however, maybe the example I gave with football, um, do, some, do some people or individuals in the class maybe think that they know everything about it, in which case the, the PDP doesn't really serve as much purpose as what it could. Um, if you were to teach an activity like softball that obviously the majority of people playing softball in Scotland are maybe not speaking for everybody, but are at more of a kind of beginner level so that the PDP actually shows some real signs of progress and it's um, a bit more meaningful, um, I think, is what he was trying to get at with that. So um, I, I like that point. Um, but like you say, I suppose there's kind of debate for both sides of that because if they are maybe passionate about a, a certain sport or that, then maybe they're more likely to buy into it. But Yep, totally. That's definitely a good point that he's made and 
means everyone can start from the same level rather than all different levels. You can yeah. teach it as a... Aye, it makes it a bit more manageable for you as well, I suppose. Um, but yeah, no, he, he came up with, there's loads of good wee takeaway messages from that episode in relation to teaching just national qualifications, I suppose, but um, obviously the focus was mainly on higher, but um, loads of things that I've kind of come away with with that um, in relation to just making sure you you know your pupils, having loads of one-to-one um, conversations and stuff with them and knowing where they're at um, in terms of their understanding of the the theory side of it and the the, diff- the way that in which, like, maybe some questions are, are worded differently and um, under- getting to the kind of root cause of what it is it's that they're struggling with within a question. Um, if they're, they're maybe really struggling to... It's, it's something I've found as well. Like, there some pupils really struggle to access the marks. And I don't know... And then you try and teach it and then they send it back in and it's maybe giving them the same feedback again and... Um, why why is it they're struggling with that and really helping them to try and articulate their answer and giving them loads of specific examples and he he said like try and explain it in a way that they're going to understand it in a context mm-hmm. that's kind of relevant to them um, I don't know if that made much sense what I just said there but um, it made sense that in my head <laughs> yep no, that sounds good um, right that's us done the takeaways for another week stay tuned Aye, for so- any more episodes coming up until the next time we hope you enjoyed this episode as much as Clark and myself and we'll see you very very soon for another episode of the Are We Birth Everything podcast take care thanks again for joining us in this week's episode of the podcast we hope you've been able to take something away that you can implement into your practice or life if you regularly listen to the podcast then why not leave us a review to let us know how we're doing and where we can perhaps improve that way we can take action and further develop the Obo podcast Until next time, we hope you have a fantastic week. Take care.